so much. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. I feel like we're really making some progress here. We're moving into a new chapter in the book of Ephesians. We're into chapter 5 today. And we'll be looking at verses 1 and 2. Ephesians 5, first two verses. As we continue our study in this great and rich book of the Bible. Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2. As I read, remember, this is the word of God. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love, just as Christ also loved you. And gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. And that is God's word. Lord God, thank you again so much for... Just not, not just a time to worship, which is special in itself, but a time as your people to sit around your word, to think about it, to ponder it, to study it, to meditate on it. Father, we pray your blessing upon this time now as we examine these two verses in your word. Help us, Father, to glean from them what you have there for us. And we pray for eyes to see and ears to hear. What your word tells us is more than anything, we pray for hearts that are pliable and soft, moldable, that your word might have its way in our lives today. Father, as your Holy Spirit shows our need, I pray that your spirit would apply it to our hearts, that we might change and be more like Jesus. We ask it in his name. Amen. You know, as a general rule, uh, your level of success, success in anything will be determined by where you set your goals. If you set your goals high, then you'll probably achieve a relatively high level of success. If you set your goals low, well, your level of success might reflect that. As you know, Carol and I follow the Mississippi State women's basketball and softball teams rather closely. Basketball's over. We're pretty deep into softball season now. And our team has been struggling just a little bit. Haven't been playing very well. And a few weeks ago, in the midweek game, we played a, a team from a lower conference and lost. A team that we should have beaten. And I was struck by what something the coach said after the game. He said, you know, we were right where we wanted to be. With a chance to tie the game in the last game. And I thought to myself, is that really where we wanted to be in that game? Was that really our goal, going into that game? Wouldn't a better goal have been to be ahead by five runs than down by one run, going into the last inning? Our level of success is determined many times by where we set our goals. And that's true in our spiritual lives, too. You know, God sets some very high goals for his people. God is never satisfied with mediocrity. He always wants our best, and he always wants us to do our best. And some of the goals that God sets for us are so high, they're almost startling and overwhelming. Because they're so high and so lofty. Well, one of the 
high goals that God sets for us is found in our text this morning. We find just two things, really, in these two verses. One is there's a, a command or an admonition. And there's an explanation of how we can obey that command or heed that admonition. So first, in verse 1, the, the command itself. What do we find there? The command is, be imitators of God. Now, let's not say it is an option or just as a good idea or as a possibility. It's stated as a command. In the Greek, it's an imperative. Be imitators of God. Do this, Paul says. Now, that is a rather startling command, isn't it? How can sinful, finite, imperfect people like us ever be like the infinite, holy, and perfect God? It seems like such an unreachable and unattainable goal. But that is to be the ultimate desire of every Christian. That is to be our ultimate goal. We want to see God. We want to be with God. And we want to be like God. Now there are certain ways in which we can never ever be like Him. You know when we study the character of God we divide His attributes up into two categories. There are His what we call His incommunicable attributes and then there are His communicable attributes. The, the incommunicable attributes are things that God does not share with us. Things that we cannot be. We are not eternal. We are not omniscient. We are not and cannot be omnipotent. We are not omnipresent. Those are things that define God as God. That separate Him from us as His people. But the communicable attributes are attributes that God does share with us. Things in which we can participate. Ways in which we can be like Him. Those are attributes like His love, His mercy, His compassion, His faithfulness, His patience, His tenderness. Those are the communicable attributes of God. And when we talk about imitating God, those are the things, the kinds of things that we have in mind. The Greek word imitate here is from which we get our English word mimic. It means to copy or reproduce something that's exactly like something else. Well, how do we imitate God? We imitate God by being more and more like Jesus. You know, the Bible says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. One of the greatest things God ever did for us was to send His Son, God in the flesh, to live among us so that we could see. Through His Word now, we could see what God is like. Because Jesus was the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You know, the whole process of sanctification is becoming more like Jesus. That is our ultimate purpose as believers. That's our ultimate goal as Christians. You see, God not only redeems us from hell, salvation is not just a life insurance policy from eternal destruction, but salvation 
is designed to make us more like Jesus. I want you to turn to a few passages if you have your Bibles. Turn with me first to Romans chapter 8. You know, we Presbyterians love to turn to Romans chapter 8. Especially to verse 29. I think we focused too much on the first part, not so much on the second. Romans 8, 29 says this. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. You can't stop there. He also predestined what? To become conformed to the image of his Son. The whole purpose for us, for God choosing us for himself, is that we might be like his Son. And we saw that. Go back to Ephesians for a second. Back to chapter 1 where we started a few months ago. And verse 4. Where it says, just as he, that is God, chose us in him, that is in Christ, before the foundation of the world. Why? That we would be holy and blameless before him. Salvation, conversion, the new birth is unto sanctification, to a changed life. That's why God calls us to himself. That's why God brings us to himself. In Matthew chapter 5, I won't turn there for the sake of time, but it's in the Sermon on the Mount, in verse 48. Jesus says, you are to be perfect. Perfect. As your heavenly Father is perfect. And now turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. Verses 14 through 16. We find this. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which are yours in ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you. Be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. And those New Testament teachings are just a reflection of an Old Testament principle. God told His people in the Old Testament, You shall be holy. And the reason you shall be holy is because I'm holy. I am the Lord your God, and you shall reflect my holiness in your own personal life. Perfecting holiness. Imitating the holiness of God. Being holy as God is holy. It's always been God's high goal for his people. You know, and that was Paul's personal goal for himself. He wanted to mimic God. He wanted to imitate God. And even when people, he would tell people, look, you follow me, he said, you follow me as I follow Christ. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 3 for just a moment. You know, Paul knew he would never fully attain that goal in his life. We didn't keep him from pursuing it. Philippians 3, this is Paul's own personal testimony. The first part of this passage is, talks about his conversion. And contrast between his old life and his new. Verses 12 through 14, Philippians 3. Where he says this, Not that I have already obtained it, that is, 
this perfection or already become perfect. I haven't got it. But I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on for the goal, for the prize of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. Do you see how what Paul says there in his own personal testimony reflects what we find in Ephesians 5 verse 1? Paul's goal was, per, per, was perfection. It's not that I've already obtained it or already become perfect. I know I haven't, but I press on that I might reach it. He says, I I don't regard myself yet as having laid hold of it. Paul knew he would not achieve it in this life. He could not achieve it in this life. And yet it did not keep him from pressing on toward that goal. And that is, you know, the hope of heaven, isn't it? That one day we will be like Jesus. That's what, what John says in his epistle. We shall be like him. And folks, we're to press on in this life, trying to be as close to Him as we can, as much like Him as we possibly can. That's the command in the verse. Be imitators of God. Now, I want you to notice too in this first verse that this command to imitate God is in the context of us being His children. We are to do that, he says, as His beloved children. That means we're to try to emulate, to to imitate our Heavenly Father, much like a child tries to imitate or be like his earthly father. You know, one one of the happiest times in the life of a parent is when they see their child trying to be like them. And one of the saddest times in the life of a parent is when they see their child trying to be like that. What children do, isn't it? They try to be like their parents. They don't discriminate. They copy the good and they copy the bad. The most appalling moments in my life when I've seen my children act like God wants us to act like Him. And you see, there's nothing bad in God's character. The only thing to copy, imitate in God's character are good quality. Imitate, He says, your Heavenly Father. And then before we move on to verse 2, I want you to notice this, this verse, verse 1, is connected to the previous section. You know, when Paul wrote Ephesians, you know this. When, he wrote, when any of the Bible was written, it wasn't written in chapters and verses. It was done later. For our help, kind of divided up. So preachers can say, now turn to chapter 4. You find your way in the Bible. It really is a continuation of the train of thought that Paul had at the end of chapter, what is chapter 4? And we know that because verse 1 starts with that 
great theological word, therefore. It ties in with what he's just said. What is it to imitate God? It is, back to verse 32, being kind to one another, being tenderhearted, forgiving each other. That's the way God is to us. And therefore, he says, be imitators of God. That's the way we're to deal with each other as well. That's the command or the admonition. And in verse 2, we see how Paul explains to us how we can heed or obey this command that he's just given. And we see in verse 2, it is by walking in love. Verse 2 really just completes the thought of verse 1, where he says this, And walk in love, just as Christ also loved you, and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. You know, when the Bible talks about the Christian's walk, it's talking about the Christian's life. How we walk describes how we live. And the text clearly says that if we're going to imitate God, if you're going to imitate God, the primary thing that you have to do, you have to walk, or you have to live in love. The truth is that love encapsulates the Christian life. And the Bible says God is love. Love defines who God is. So all that God does is done how? All that God does is done in love. That means love must define who we are. You know, when Jesus summarized the law, he did it this way. The greatest commandment is love. Right? Love the Lord your God. All your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Second commandment is love. Love your neighbor as yourself. Not only is the character of God summed up, by love. But the Christian life is summed up in love. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, 14, let all that you do be done in love. What an amazing statement. Let all, let all that you do be done in love. I want you to notice in the text the example that Paul gives us to follow as we try to walk in love. And surprise, surprise, is the example of Jesus. What does the text say? Walk in love, just as Christ also loved you. Walk in love, just as Christ also loved you. So it's clear, if we're going to love one another in whatever context it is, home, church, wherever it is, if we're really going to show love for one another, we've got to do it in the same way Christ loved us. Well, how did Christ love us? The text tells us. He loved us sacrificially. Gave himself up for us. Oh, because there's nothing selfish about love. Nothing self-centered about love. 
Love is always focused on someone else. Love for God. Love for us. Christ showed his love for you. Christ showed his love for me. By giving himself up for us. By sacrificing himself for us. Wow, why did, why did God send Jesus in the first place? Because he loved us. What does John 3.16 say? For God so... We're in the Presbyterian Church, but you can say it. God so what? He loved. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten. And it's because of Jesus' love for his people that he took on what the Father gave him to do, to come and, and to bear their sin on the cross, to sacrifice himself for them. And so when you're evaluating your level of love for another person, whether it be your spouse, your child, your parents, your children, your siblings, a friend, another member of the church, whoever it might be, one way to evaluate, an important key way to evaluate your level of love for them is your degree of willingness to sacrifice yourself for them. Are you willing to give up your time so you can spend time with them? Are you willing not to do what you want to do so you can do what they want to do? Are you willing to turn off the TV so you can listen to what they have to say? Are you willing not to buy something for yourself so you can buy something for them? Are you willing to lay aside your big ideas so you can help them achieve their big ideas? The list is endless. But true love, Christ-like love, is sacrificial love. We're to love just as Christ loved us. And he showed us his love sacrificially by giving himself up for us. But also, the love of Jesus is a forgiving love. And this is where we tie back into where we were last week in verse 32. What does he say again? Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other. Just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Once you notice, there are two just as verses. They're close together. They're tied together. We can't separate them. Chapter 4, verse 32 says, You're to forgive others. How? Just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Chapter 5, verse 2 says, You are to love each other. How? Just as Christ has loved you. The greatest expression of God's love for you is his forgiveness and the greatest expression of love that we have for each other is our forgiveness for each other I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 a very very familiar passage of scripture of course 1 Corinthians chapter 13 if you ever want to know what godly love is like, Christian love is like, just go to 1 Corinthians 13. 
Paul, God tells us through the Apostle Paul. Look at verses 8 and 9. I'm sorry. Verses 4 through 6. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. Love does not brag. It is not arrogant. Love does not act unbecomingly. Love does not seek its own. Love is not provoked. And love does not take into account a wrong suffered. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. That rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. In the first part of verse 8 says, Love never fails. How are we to love each other? Just as Christ has loved us. You know, Jesus was patient, Jesus is kind. Jesus is not jealous. He does not brag. He's not arrogant. Jesus did not act unbecomingly. He didn't seek his own. He wasn't provoked. Jesus didn't take into account a wrong suffering. He asked God to forgive those who crucified him while he's still on the cross. You know, it's one thing to plug Jesus' name into 1 Corinthians 13. I think I may have said this before. It's much more difficult personal. Can you plug your name there? Why not try to plug my name there? I'll just use a pronoun. The day I goes. If you want to really test your degree of of your love, read it this way. I am patient. I'm kind. I'm not jealous. I don't brag. I'm not arrogant. See how hard that is? I can't get very far. That's what the real test of love is. You know, when we walk in love, it's a very practical thing, isn't it? We're patient with people. We're kind to people. We're not jealous of people others. We don't brag about ourselves. We're not arrogant and haughty. We don't act in an unbecoming way embarrassing other people. We don't seek our own first. We're not provoked by what others do to us. We don't hold it against, take into account something wrong someone's done to us. We don't rejoice when, when someone falls into sin. We rejoice rather in the proclamation and the advance of the truth. We bear all things, as bad as it may be. We endure all things, no matter how tough and difficult it may be. We believe all things. We hope all things. And our love is real love. It's Christ's love. It'll never fail. Before we finish, I want you to look at the end of verse 2. Where it says that Christ loving us in that way 
And that sacrificial way was an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. What an amazing picture. The obedience, the sacrifice of Christ on behalf of His people, the love He showed for His people was a, was a fragrant aroma rising up to His heavenly Father. Many times in the Old Testament, the, the sacrifices that the people offered and the priests offered on the people's behalf, they would say there was a soothing aroma to the Lord. And, and the Bible says the same is true for us. That our acts of love, our demonstrations of sacrificial love for others, are a fragrant aroma to the Lord. But the opposite is just as true. That when we fail to show love, when we disobey God, and we do not be the people He's called us to be, it's a, it's a putrid odor in His nostrils. See the contrast? A fragrant aroma and a putrid odor. You know what it's like to encounter a bad odor. Maybe you're going down the road and you past where a skunk has been. That's unpleasant, isn't it? Our house in Louisville was not on a slab. It was an older home. It was built off the ground. And you know what happened occasionally? An animal would crawl up under there and die. That was unpleasant. I can still remember my, when I was a child, my grandmother, Schwanebeck, lived in Savannah. And I can still remember when we drove to Savannah... We went through a small town that had a paper mill. I don't know if you've ever been near a paper mill. But I can assure you that was unpleasant. I can still remember my sisters putting a pillow over their faces till we got past the odor of the paper. That's what our disobedience is to go. He's a holy God. When we aren't holy, it's putrid. We have to turn away from it and disgust. But when we walk in love and obey Him as He calls us to do, our, our, our lives are a fragrant aroma. And, and so I guess my question as I conclude this morning is, what is your life to God today? You look at your life objectively and see how you're living your life before Him. Is it something with which He's pleased? Is it a fragrant aroma He delights in? Or is it something that He is repulsed by? May God help us to try to imitate Him by walking in love in all areas of our lives, whether it be in our personal lives, our family lives, or here at the church, that we might be a fragrant aroma to Him. Let's pray. Lord God, thank You so much for Your Word. And we pray that this high goal might always be set before us, to be what You called us to be. Imitate You. To mimic You. To be like our Heavenly Father. All that we want one day to be perfect like you are. I pray you give us the grace to press on even now to be that. 
to be what you've called us to be. What you want us to be. To live in love. To walk in love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. And just as he was a fragrant aroma to you, I pray that our lives would be too. And you'd be pleased with us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.